Hello and welcome to Happy Place. I'm Fern Cotton and this is the show that understands that every single one of us is a constant work in progress. Today I'm chatting to Serena Vigman. There was a, a period around the World Cup 2019 and I, in the conversation I had with a couple of players, I just didn't get out of it what I wanted. And then at that time, like I've worked with sports psychologists all the time. So I talked to her and, and she said, well, you, you have to ask better questions and more open questions and just don't answer. Just keep asking questions. And when I started doing that, the conversations really changed. And I just, then you reinforce and you keep practicing and think, oh, the connection gets so much better. You start to understand the person in front of you better too. Serena is widely regarded as one of the best coaches in women's football history, and I would say in football's history. Her rise to the top of the coaching world began after her own successful playing career, and she's had an immense impact on the game as a player, a coach, and crucially, a leader. Previously, coach of the women's Dutch team, Serena became England's head coach in 2021 and led the team to their first trophy as champions of the Women's Euro 2022. Oh my God, that was such a moment. It felt like just one of the most electric moments of sports I've personally ever experienced for so many reasons. Unsurprisingly, she's won Best Women's Coach at the FIFA Awards three times and now she's written her thoughts down in a new book, What It Takes, My Playbook on Life and Leadership. Getting to sit down with Serena a few weeks ago was a total joy. You'll hear in this chat just how keen she is to always learn more, to change tack, to be prepared to fail in order to reap the biggest rewards. I know I certainly learned a hell of a lot from her mindset and I really hope you do too. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Okay, here it is. This is the show. Hey Serena. Hi. I'm so buzzed to talk to you today. I'm just buzzing with excitement. I've got so many things that I want to know and I loved reading your book. Oh good, that's good to hear. I really loved it. Not only does it chart your phenomenal career but also there's a ton on leadership which I'm really mm. interested in as well. But before we get to that, I think it makes sense to go back to the start. So you being a kid in the Netherlands, loving football, mm. showcasing a real natural talent, but it being impossible to join a club at that point, so much so you had to cut your hair yeah. to look like a boy. How much do you think the injustice that you felt as a kid during that period motivates you today to see positive change in women's football? Yeah, I think at that age, I wasn't really aware. I just wanted to play football. And my parents said, if you want to play football, you're going to play football. Um, but I knew I had to look like a little boy. Uh, my twin brother, we started playing together. 
But I was not really aware what was really going on. When I got older, I became more aware of things. And then you feel a lot of injustice. And yes, that motivates me. But most of all, the love for the game and the love to to connect with people is what made me do what I'm doing. Yeah, so I guess it's that like, there's obviously the passion, the natural love for the game. Then there's always going to be that injustice until we see total equality between men and women's football. How do you turn what I'm imagining feels like anger? Even from me on the sidelines, I feel that sort of sense of anger. How do you turn that into passion yeah. and and motivation? Yeah, to be honest, at the moment, I, I I don't feel that anger. I think we went through a whole development, and I'm I'm well, I'm very privileged, and I uh, that I lived through the whole development. And like when when I was seven, there was it was not accepted. Uh, there were no opportunities or whatsoever, but over the years, which is about 45 years, things changed a lot. Where we are now, so many things have been improving and that's just really good, but we still have a long way to go. So we need to keep working on it and we need to keep addressing it that there's more equality. But I think we're going into the right direction. We really are. Like You say in the book, unless we do something extra it could take 20 years to see that proper equilibrium within the footballing world what is that something extra what what needs to happen next yeah i think well lots of things need to happen and all together i think the game is growing a lot but for example like last year when the players sent the letter that equal access to sports to football for girls i think that's a huge step i think we need to put more effort that girls have access to those things um and also in football the facilities the support that girls get to play football or to do any other sport so it's 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 much wider than just football. We need to put effort in it. I, I always compare it with when you're down in in a football game. You need to get more more effort, give more effort to to get it equal. And it's exactly the same. So you need to in, in uh, for younger age girls need opportunities in every level. I think, and then at the, at the later stage, like the academies, which lots of things are being done from the FA and the clubs too, they need opportunities to get the facilities that girls deserve also to get to their highest level and have that opportunity. Uh, but also, again, also for girls who are not the best, they need good facilities too to enjoy themselves. And then in the, when you come to the senior level, Yes, you still like you see the women's super leagues really developing, international football is really developing, but we're still talking about equal facilities, uh, support, all these things that that are being addressed all the time, and we need to keep addressing that. And one big thing is also get more women involved in football in whatever role they can be. And for me, in my role as a coach, I just hope that more female coaches are going to be working on the highest level. Yeah, I mean. What you've done in terms of visibility for females in the football world, as an outsider to sort of witness that level of change from when you were working with the Netherlands team to working with the England team, the Lionesses here, there's been a huge sort of shift, it it feels like, from my point of view. I mean, that must feel, as well as the hard work and the effort that you've got to put in to ensure that your teams are doing the best that they can. Mm. That must feel incredible. You're you're history-making. You're changing how women are seen in the world of sport. Yeah, I'm not always aware of that. Mm. But I know... I'm here to tell you that that is a fact. Yeah, Yeah, well, of course, I noticed it because the world around me changed how they approached me, of course. But I think 
so many people have worked so hard to change the world. And, you know, when I stepped in with the Dutch national team, there was a fundament already. And people who were before me did a great job. And so then at the time I came in, there was already so many things done that I could just continue doing that. And, and yeah, very fortunate. We, we did really well. And when I came here too, I think the team was already really good. So many people had worked so hard to get the team to that stage. And I just tried to figure out what they still needed to get to the next level. And well, then everyone knows what happened afterwards. And then you get so much visibility. So that's also then you get the visibility, you get the, the yeah, the stage. And then you when well then I feel responsible to to share things and and hopefully to to help a little bit. But I think the players do too. And that's why I also think we need more female coaches to also inspire the younger generation to grow. I mean, you were having a, a conversation with Lucy Bronze that you talk about in the book, where you came to this conclusion that success drives change, which, yeah. you know, that's what we've visibly seen over the last sort of five years. And seeing the Lionesses win the Euros, I mean, that was just this moment of pure elation. And I felt... I don't even know what... I can't even describe it, this visceral sensation of, you know, I've got a daughter, I've got a stepdaughter. And it felt so meaningful on so many levels, even outside of the footballing world, that women were being seen in a completely different way. But coming to that conclusion which is a brilliant one, success drives change, that does mean more pressure for you, that you've got to keep that level of success there just to get anywhere near seeing some sort of equality between men and women's football. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what we always say is we have to perform to become visible or to stay visible and then you have the platform to address other things and I think that's also really in this generation of football players that we all know where we came from where we come from and what we want to change and we know now by being top athletes and having this stage that we can change the world in a positive way for women women in football but also women in general and girls in general so that's a very strong purpose we have to but it starts and it always finishes with performing at the highest level so well that's the pressure but it's also very good passion to have to move on and yeah, that really thrives and, and gives motivation. Yeah, it's not just about winning then. It's about creating cultural change and seeing change for future generations. That's like a whole other layer that I don't yeah. suppose the men's team are ever going to feel that because they're already all eyes on them and they have been for a very long time. Yeah. So I guess that can be totally motivating for you as well. Yeah, it is. I'd love to talk to you about crowd culture because that, again, as an outsider, is something that... I've certainly noticed that, you know, when you go to a, a, a men's football game and also I think what's really spurred on this line of thinking for me was recently watching the David Beckham documentary mm. where you see the absolute abuse that he got yeah. in that World Cup saga, getting a red card, the amount of abuse that was thrown his way and mental turmoil that he went through and that it became very normalised that the crowd would chant things yeah. about his wife and throw out awful insults for, you know, one mistake that he made. And also we've seen over the years racism mm-hmm. and all sorts of horrific things being held from the stands. I mean, it doesn't seem that way in women's football. It seems whenever I've watched it on the TV and I've not been to a game in real life, the atmosphere feels kinder. The atmosphere feels more unifying, that everybody's there with a shared purpose, that it's about the game, that it's about the excitement, that it's about experiencing something together rather than against each other. Is that 
a true illustration of, of what the differences are? And do you think that women's football can actually change the culture, the crowd culture in men's football? Yeah, well, there's a couple of questions in one. Yeah, I think, uh, yes, you see different crowds, like you see lots of families. Yes. And I think there's international football too. So lots of families, girls, boys, and it's very friendly. And that's really great. Like yeah. we, we already saw that the last international match when we played the Netherlands in, in Utrecht. That's, you know, before the game was very friendly because we all know each other. Then in the game, it was really like very competitive. And after the game, it was fine too. And also the fans, it's like... It's it's very inclusive. The brutalness comes in the game, like you know, um, when when LJ got uh, Lauren James got the red card. Yes, he gets, but there's more social media that comes into that yeah. too. It that's not good. No. Like, and it's lots of it's very anon- anonymous. And yeah, I just hope people stop doing that. But because realizing what that does with people, it becomes so personal. They're human, and it's football, and we're all humans. Just you know, like David Beckham, like yeah. everyone else. So that that abuse, we just try and take it out. Um, and I hope that in the crowd, that that is going to stay the way it is because it's 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 really what I think sport should be: unite people, and being uh, yes, everyone is included, and everyone's welcome. Yeah, it's so. It feels like a totally different experience watching a women's football game. And I sort of feel even watching it on the TV, having my kids watch, I'm like, yeah, this is fine. You're not going to hear any like C-bombs thrown out yeah. or like terrible language. Yeah. It's going to be all right. It feels, yeah. it definitely feels a lot nicer. Saying that, you know, we've got all of this beautiful progress and amazing improvement that you've been totally at the helm of. But, you know, you say in the book and we can still see the many ways that football is still stuck in its ways. You know, there are still huge things that need to change. We can even look to the World Cup recently. And and you mentioned in your acceptance speech when you won Coach of the Year, you brought focus back to Spain's win rather than the controversy that was surrounding Rubiales and the unsolicited kiss to the Spanish team member. I mean, there is still a long way to go in terms of, you know, that wouldn't be normal if it was the men's football team. And I think most people were quite horrified about that. Mm. They're really ingrained cultural problems that we need to still address in a very male-dominated industry. How do you navigate that? Yeah, well, I think we need to keep addressing these things. We, we, like, you want to see what the growth and you want to see the investment that's that's been done but as we say all the time we're not there yet and the Spanish team had addressed things before I think becoming world champions and that what happened the system they want to change that's also then in the women's game we have to support each other to say we should celebrate their win like they played such good football unfortunately for us mm. um, that uh, that they did, well they did in the final but uh, we should celebrate that and we should celebrate the players but the attention was not to that and we should put the attention to that and at the other side address those things and then make that change like influence that change and keep addressing and I think that helped where you can support you have to support but also in other countries other countries also went, went to the World Cup they addressed a couple of things too uh, and it has to do with facilities with you know with everything they need to perform at the highest level again we have a way to go worldwide do you feel respected as a woman in your you know highly esteemed position in the football world by the men around you whether it's in women's or men's football 
Yeah, I do. I do. I think I, I'm in the very nice circumstance that in England I feel very, very respected. Since I came in September 21, I've I've felt so good. Um, conversations we have is all, you know, it's valued. It's um, being listened to. It's equal. The facilities and the support I get from the FA and conversations we've had is just really good. Yeah. Um, so I'm in the lucky circumstances. And I think also England wants to be... Yeah, wants to to be like one of the well trailblazers one up there to show the investment and moving forward to take the next step in um, yeah in the game. I mean, there's a question that you ask in the book, or you don't ask, you present it. It's one that is often very patronising about could uh, a female manager work with the male football team yeah. and uh, of course yeah. but there's still that strange mental perception probably more for male football fans that they would be perhaps unaccepting of that yeah i i think it's it's all the time it's a, it's a society thing yeah uh, we're not used to seeing women uh, leading men in football and that's definitely going to change because there are women everywhere. There are women in government, women on leading countries. Why would why couldn't they lead a football team? It just has never happened before. And and well, I think that's just a matter of time. And I also think that sometimes it's underestimating what environment we work with the women, because you work with the best women worldwide in the best facilities with the best staff like the staff I have around me there's so much quality the players like the tactical knowledge of the players the commitment of the players it's just such a great level and such so enjoyable to work with that it's not always it's, it shouldn't be better to go to the men it's it's that that's another discussion yeah exactly well I guess that's going to be bespoke and down to the individual and what your own goals are yeah. and and where your head's at with it. But please don't leave the Women's England team. Please, ever. Um, I mean, another moment that I think many of us cringed about was when you were again accepted, you were, you were um, given the award, you were accepting your award on stage and the UEFA president warned you that your award was very heavy before he passed yeah. it to you. I mean, that again felt like a, perhaps a, an unthought sentence. He hadn't really perhaps thought that very well through before he gave you a reward. But I think it is small, <laughs> nuanced moments like that that make us all step back and go, wait a minute, that would never happen to a male manager collecting an award. Yeah. Well, I haven't thought about that, to be honest. But yes, that, yeah, well, I was just thinking, what am I going to say? Yeah. I was ready to, to say something. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, well, it just needs time. It does. It needs time and there's room for progress. Yeah, and absolutely. you know, you've taken on one of those jobs to yeah. really push us through it. Looking at the leadership traits that are needed, you go into this in depth in the book. And I think leadership is such a specific thing and something that is way more complicated and nuanced than any of us who aren't in that position could ever begin to imagine. And I think reading your book really gave such great insight for mm. me personally into how much responsibility you hold and tactical thought that's involved, mm. etc. What would you say is absolutely key to being a successful leader? Oh, there's just not one one answer. I think successful leader, at, it's also a time in this time, it's different than it's like 15 years ago. I think for me, a successful leader is someone who, well, of course, you need a very clear vision, but you really connect with people. The connection, try to connect every people and try to get to know each other a little better so you understand behavior because coaching is influencing behavior. And and then you try, yeah, get that connection because football brings us like brings us together and everyone is so talented. And that that's what brings together. But then it's really 
the case that you bring people together so we perform at the highest level and that has to do with connections and of course a clear vision and communication uh, but first the, the safe environment you create you know everyone can be themselves uh, within the framework you have of course because you can't just you're, you're in an environment where you have to perform and we go one direction it's trying to win the, the next game but then save environments get connected make sure you you know each other good enough uh, so you can yeah you can understand each other better and you can also give feedback yeah it seems so clear from reading the book how much you care about your players and the time that you've taken to get to know them and to really understand who they are as people not just players and there's one moment in the book where you say at times you don't feel cut out for it because those moments where you've got to disappoint a player by telling them they've been overlooked in preference for another player is devastating Mm -hmm. how do you cope with that yeah, well, first it's devastating for the player, of course. But the one who gets good news is, of course, very happy. And the one who doesn't get the good news is, is very sad and disappointed and Im- probably emotional. It's just I, this This is the part of the job. This is also my task. I just know you have to be clear. You have to have clear messages. And at the moment you have like a bad news. It's just a message because it's really emotional for them too. And yes, I always think that, well, I want to do that really good because I want to treat them with respect and being honest and clear too. Uh, But that does something with me because I feel for them. I know how much effort they put in it and how really eager everyone is to make the squad. So yes, uh, that takes a lot of energy out of me. But I know I have to do that job and I know how I want to do that to be really clear, clear and honest because they don't have, it doesn't help them to, to be unclear and not give a an honest message and also you've experienced it as a player you know those feelings yeah. painful <laughs> yeah. very painful it's well, this is also part of stop sport it's not honest yeah. it's never honest mm. and um so yeah that's just part of the job and uh, you know you've got lots of player input into your book as well where players from both the dutch team and the england team Uh, talk about their experience of working with you and you can certainly see the difference of when the England team talk about you because there's this one comment that keeps coming up which is such an interesting cultural difference probably between the UK and the rest of the world (laughs) and it's the fact that you're very direct and we are obviously bloody awful at being direct (laughs) and we beat around the bush and sort of armor and get very fidgety and it's yeah. just culturally a really strange idiosyncrasy that we all seem to have that we can't be direct with people and either maybe ask for what we want or set a boundary and say no but that seems in most other parts of Europe certainly something that is almost second nature how did you navigate that coming in and noticing those cultural differences yeah. with the team yeah well you bring it now really like it's all the way there and all the way there so little nuances too but yes it is it, <laughs> that is what we know so what I, what I did before I came in I tried to get the main things that I really should know before I would come in uh, because of course what one of my goals starting here as a manager is that I wanted to know the culture and that I wanted to connect people so I was like can I connect the people in England just as good as I did in the Netherlands but while the Netherlands you know that's my own culture that's very recognizable for myself and um, yes it's very around the bush at moments yeah. but it's also very polite and uh, it's, it also has to do with being respectful too and the directness of the Dutch are sometimes is a little bit um, mixed with being uh, rude Direct is not rude. You can be direct, which I I would say like is clear, 
clear and honest, but also bring that with respect and show some empathy too. It's just the way, it's communication and how you communicate things. But I believe clarity is one of my values because I really think clarity will connect actually better because you know where you stand and you always know what you've said because you have been clear. Yeah. So you can refer to it. You don't think, oh, what did I say there and there? Because when you go around the bush, as you said, <laughs> then you might think, oh, what did I say? <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, I I can even look like outside of my professional life, in my actual life, at moments where I'm not clear with people and it always ends badly. There's yeah. no other option. It always ends yeah. badly because no one knows where they stand. Yeah. And there's confusion that can lead to resentment. And in your profession, there can't be any margin for that. There has to be clarity because well, there is a clear end goal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And well, and when there is no clarity, but sometimes there is no clarity, there's a situation where you can't have clarity. But then you tell them there's no clarity and that's the clarity. Yeah. <laughs> So you just it's just about co- clear communication yeah. and giving context um so but but I do think in the team from what we try to do and of course I the staff like I don't do that all by myself we do that together with the staff I think players talk a lot more and we ask them their opinions all the time we don't judge and and we want to have their opinions the same with the staff so when I started when I gave my opinion straight away then I wouldn't get back I wouldn't get anything back because then say, okay, the boss said this. That's also English. You t- say talk about the boss a lot, and uh, but I thought, okay, I have to change my communication. So I have to ask questions for first before I give my own opinion. Uh, otherwise, everyone goes with my own opinion. But that doesn't make me better. It doesn't make the team better. And we have a clear vision on how we want to play, how we want to treat people, how we want to train. But we discuss every day. And if we give all the arguments why choices we have to make, then you can make better decisions, which is better for our performances and also better for the players' performances. And that's what we have to do to help the player to perform at the highest level. Yeah, I mean, you you constantly are in the book, when you're talking about your relationship with the players, you're encouraging that feedback, which perhaps they hadn't been so used to before. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, Lucy Bronze talking about your dynamic in the books is that you don't take anything personally. And that might, again, feel like a very natural thing to who you are as a person, your personality trait. But I think for most people, that's incredibly challenging, that concept, to not take very direct feedback or it could be criticism or healthy critique to heart. You know, I would say that I'm... I've got better over the years because I've had to because so much of my work is in the public and you've had to do exactly the same. But I think I can probably still find myself in those moments where I feel a bit bruised, a bit overly sensitive about someone saying something to me. Do you think you've got better at that? Or, yeah, yeah. or how I do you have to learn that too. Yeah. I think it has to do with confidence too. So when I started, oh, I definitely felt offended at moments and I felt hurt and I'm pretty sensitive too. But over the years, you get so much experience that, and it, of course it helps them when you perform well, when you did well with teams, when... And over years, you get so much experience in life too, you know, outside football, inside football. And I think that really helped me too. But what I also did, I talked to so many sports psychologists. I read so many books. You know, you just learn. You get more confidence, uh, trust in yourself. Then you learn a lot because you read a lot. You talk to people all the time. Yeah, then you become better and better in it. So there sometimes I think, hmm, okay. But then don't say anything. Listen, take it, get the emotion out and really listen to what they say. 
listening between the lines too. And I think I just became a lot better in that. I think that's a really good bit of advice, even looking outside of a professional life, when you're having some sort of disagreement with someone or you're trying to find middle ground, not to instantly snap and react, which obviously we've all done over the years in situations, but actually that pause is vital to get the emotion out of it, to really hear what they're saying and to then think about how you might respond to that situation. It's definitely not an easy thing to do but it you know I think listening to you speak it certainly sounds like something that you can practice and that you can actually cultivate as a skill Mm. certainly if you want to look to work in leadership it's probably one of the most imperative skills you could have to lead a team yeah and I did I did learn like there was a period around the World Cup 2019 and I in the conversation I had with, with a couple of players I just didn't get out of it what I wanted, and then at that time, like I've worked with sports psychologists all the time, so I talked to her, and and she said, "Well, you you have to ask better questions, and more open questions, and just don't answer, just keep asking questions." And that was so helpful. And I re- read a book about that too. And when I started doing that, the conversations really changed. And I just then you reinforce and you keep practicing, and think, "Oh, the connection gets so much better." Well, with the, I had the intent before. I had a good intention too, but I really wanted to get my opinion a little bit to the player to support her. But that didn't work. You have to ask questions, open yeah. questions, and listen and what you hear. Then ask the follow-up questions, so you get everything out. Then you understand, start to understand the person in front of you better too. Yeah, I guess then the conversation goes off on a completely unexpected tangent yeah. because if you know. You know, you're trying to get a certain thing out of a player and they're not delivering it, it's probably because they're not thinking what you're thinking and it's something entirely different. And I guess yeah. that's... You know, that's well, and they sort feel of... valued more too. Yeah, yeah. Because you ask questions all the time, you listen, so they feel they feel respected that they can tell their story. It's so interesting how so often we make so many assumptions in our head yeah. about what someone's yeah. thinking, feeling, experiencing, yeah. rather than actually bothering to ask or to dig a bit deeper I think again looking at working as a team or even like living in a house with other human beings whether it's a family or friends we make so many assumptions about oh they're this they're that or they're thinking this and actually we haven't taken the time to do that line of questioning with with big periods of listening yeah it's really important yeah hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn you're looking in the wrong place That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Another thing that seems absolutely essential is remaining calm yeah (laughs) oh my god not something that I'm naturally good at again I'm trying to cultivate this skill at times I'm probably better practiced at it than others Um, but I think many of us again struggle with finding some sense of calm when things maybe not even a chaotic but just feel stressful how have you managed to get to a place where you can deal with an injured player, a goal that you hadn't anticipated from the opposing team, a change of lineup from the other team last minute. Things that throw your plans, your you know, exceptional preparation into absolute chaos. How do you yeah. remain calm? 
Again, experience as a player, I wasn't that calm. But becoming older and more experienced in life, I became calmer. But I also practiced that. So meditation, breathing, yoga. I think that really helps. And talking to people. And I think it also helps preparation. When you have a vision on things, then you have strategies and then how you want to play things. But also your own strategies, how you want to stay calm. So there's, there's more things going on. And and then when you have your plan with your team, then and you also try to plan, okay, what can we expect? So you have had experience with it, but you also know, okay, I did everything I've done to make it as good as possible and now we have to go. That in combination with experience and doing the meditation, doing the visualizations, the yoga breathing, that really helps. And sometimes inside I'm not that calm, but I just keep, fo- I can focus pretty good. In games, I'm just really, really focused and really in, okay, what's happening now? And I have contact, of course, with this, with my colleagues also about what happens in the game. We just focus on it. We tell the players, you have to focus on the task. That's what we have to do too, because we are there to support the players in the best possible way. So if I'm not calm, I can't observe good enough. And that's my job. And if I'm not calm, the, what would the players think? Yeah. They might think, okay, well, what, what's she doing? She's she's panicking. So why then what they could panic too. So I am so much calmer than I've ever been. But I think that has to do with well, the things I just said. Yeah, I think... Experience, practicing and having your plan. Panic can be quite contagious, I think, in situations, you know, certainly in your line of work where, like you just said, if you're panicking, that just breeds more panic for everyone. So even if you're not feeling it, you've got to yeah. illustrate a sort of aura yeah. of calm so that yeah, everyone, exactly. it's like a herd mentality. Yeah. Everyone's like, this is a calm situation. We yeah. can deal with it. Emotions and, and panicking. I think panic, when you're panicking, you're totally not in in the now. No. Uh, and emo- like football is emotion. So something you get emotional, but you have to come back to your calm observation state again. And that's that's what you have to do all the time. Yeah, just like recalibrate. Yeah. So you, you let yourself feel the emotion, but then there's a baseline yeah. that you have to get back yeah. to. Yeah, it's interesting because I think when we're stressed, we often feel, oh, it's probably quite habitual depending on maybe our upbringing or where we grew up or whatever it might be that... You know, what was modelled to you, you copy that. So if something's yeah. stressful that you might be a bit flappy, if, you know, your your carers or parents were a bit like that. But actually, all that does is make things so much harder. Because like you just said, if you are calm, that is where you are able to be vigilant, thoughtful about something yeah. and much more focused on the problem to then get the solution. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. that's what you have to do, you know. That's what has to do with the range, you probably know. If you're, if you're panicking, you get in this state, then you can't observe anymore. And you just have to observe, and, and yes, and, and because that's your job. Yeah, and I guess allow yourself to feel relaxed, which well, is tricky uh, not, to land on that. No, you're not. Like, it's r- completely normal. So we played the World Cup last summer. Of course, it's completely norm- normal that you're a little bit nervous before the game. Yeah. I am too, but I'm not going to push it away. Because it would be strange if you wouldn't be nervous at all because it's the highest stage. Everyone's watching you. There's 80,000 people in the stands and you play a very good opponent because you had a World Cup. So, of course, it's exciting and brings a little bit nerves, but that's completely normal. But you just bring it back. What do I have to do? How do, how do we want to win? What's our plan? And what's my role in that? And that's what I bring up. That's what my focus is on. And 
Then you come back, that's where you're practising all the time. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so before a big match like the World Cup or the final of the Euros, can you sleep the night before? Yeah. You can? Yeah. Well, that uh, I can sleep the night before, yes. There have been some games that I can that I had more problems to sleep but, uh, but like when you all you get to the stage you come to the final so many things have gone so well and everything is so set that you just you're ready and yes of course you're oh, I, I was nervous and excited at the same time but I, I, yeah I have become pretty calm too yeah, well, you've done the prep and you know everything's yeah. in place yeah. as much as it can be and then the rest is unknown and you've just yeah, got to go with exactly. it. Another thing that is vital in your role is to be someone that is extremely approachable, which every player you've ever worked with seems to say in your book that you're incredibly approachable. They could come to you at any time and talk about very real things that are mm-hmm. going on for them, worries, concerns, anxieties or otherwise. How do you create boundaries around that? Because that can't, I'm imagining, be just a free-for-all, that anyone can approach you or talk to you at any point because you've got stuff going on that you need to be focused on. You've got things outside of work that you need to also give attention to. So how do you how do you navigate that? Yeah. Being a shoulder to lean on, but with boundaries in place. Yeah, yeah. I learned that too because when I started as a coach, I was always... and. Always, whenever a player would come to me or anyone in, in my environment, I would just drop everything and start to help that person. But that didn't work for me because then you're always giving, giving, giving. But sometimes you need to sit down yourself and process things and decompress a couple of things to, to move on. So I, I don't think the players ask too much. But when I'm not available, when it's really urgent really urgent I'm, I'm always available yeah but when um when it's not like really really urgent and i'm doing something else or i'm not available i just ask them depends on whether we're in camp in camp i'm basically always available outside of camp then i say okay is, is it really urgent or can we make it important for tomorrow and, and talk through or things like that i'm doing that a lot better i have to because the agenda is really really full with the changing world around me too and and it's not like Players don't call me all the time. You know, you also, like, sometimes they go to other, to my colleagues to talk. They know. We just tell them all the time, whenever there's something, you can reach out to us. We are here to support you. And sometimes they reach out to the sort of psychologist or to one of the assistants. So they, they know they can do it. And for some, there is a boundary to do that. And for some, they come they come to us very easily. They just know we're there for them. So having, you know, it's a big responsibility having players that you also personally deeply care about as well as the extended team that you're working with constantly and under the spotlight in the glare of the public eye. Do you reach overwhelm? Do you find you reach points in life where you think, gosh, it's just all too much? Yeah, well, it changed so much that sometimes I think, ooh, this is a little bit too much. Um, But then again, what I try to do is then get my agenda a little empty and just go to the beach or have those moments. And I think you you just keep learning that too. And I'm just, at the moment, I'm really, really careful with my agenda. And I have to say no so many times. Well, I also feel responsible. You get so many questions and I feel responsible too to share, to help. But I just can't do it. No. Because it's too busy. And I am my priority. Because if I'm not doing well, how am I going to be a good mom, a good a good partner or a good coach for them. So that's really what you have to put on. You have to put yourself on one to be fresh and fit 
to do your job or to support as good as possible. So it's hard to say no, but you, over time you you really learn it. Yeah, and it's not always nice. No, but I just have to. I think also. I don't think this is a generalisation. I think it's probably actually really accurate that most women don't put themselves at number one. Most women just, again, probably through the generations on a societal level have been taught that you take care of everyone else and that you end up somewhere down the bottom of the pile. Well, well that's what I did. And you're exhausted. You probably, yes. Over time you learn. So, yes, I had moments that I was exhausted. So, and then again, you, I talk to a lot of sports psychologists. I read a lot of things. So people tell me, oh, you, you don't take yourself seriously. Or serious, seriously. So you ha- first, you have to take yourself seriously. So that's just also find help. Yeah. Uh, and, and get feedback about yourself. And Oh, yes, I have to put myself on one. So it's going better and better. And then you... You're in a better place too. So life becomes more enjoyable too. Yeah, and then actually you do have more energy reserves yeah, to help exactly. other people, which yeah. feels at the time completely back to front. You know, yeah. you, and we're so just conditioned that we just go, oh, well, are they okay? Are they okay? And actually, I especially actually as a totally mom, recognize we should, because, well, I am very caring. Yeah. And listening to you, I think you have to say. Oh, my yeah, God. Oh, yeah. Whenever I like, I, honestly, it's so on my mind because I was just. Um, before this today, editing a book I'm working on, and I actually suggest, you know, all the activities in the book are because I bloody need them more yeah. than anyone. Like, write a list and where are you in that list? And yeah. I'm like, oh, bloody hell, yeah. I'm at the bottom again. Yeah. But, you know, we, we are so used to doing that, yeah. making sure that, you know, are they, have the kids got the right thing for school yeah. tomorrow and is everyone at work happy? But that's and, good too, eh? because yeah. you want, you have to be there for your kids. You want of course, to raise your kids in the right, and you, you love your kids. But you've got to have room for you in there somewhere. And that's what I think we totally forget to do. And certainly at your extremely high level of work and all eyes on you, you've got to make sure you're all right. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to deal with the pressure and the stress of it. Yeah, exactly. There's one bit of advice that you gave the team. It was actually when England were playing the Netherlands. And I'll quote you directly here. Mm -hmm. You say, actually, I don't give a shit if you make mistakes. I said that, yeah. Which is such... (laughs) And you were wondering, should I use the word shit? I asked them, can I use it? And they say, yes, you can use it. Okay, I don't give a shit if you make mistakes. (laughs) But it's such... A valuable piece of advice in any realm because I think we're all so worried about failing and especially Mm. in um, world-class sport, no one wants to fail, especially in that public domain. But you were giving your team permission to make, like, still have winning in mind but make mistakes. That's such an interesting bit of advice. No, I think it's the most important advice you can give. Yeah. So you play to win. You don't play to prevent mistakes because when you play to prevent mistakes, you don't take action. It's not fun anyway, and and it's 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 about f- fear of failure then, and I think you know when you I always tell the players you take action and your action can go brilliantly, and your action may go wrong. When you when it goes wrong, you try it again and you learn from it. But if if you don't play to make mistakes, you're never ever going to do something really exceptional too. Mm. So just, yeah, you have to do that because then you get freedom to, to go. And life and football, life is, is not a game. Well, it's a little bit of a game, but football is a, is a game of making mistakes. So just play. Yeah. Play to play. Yeah. And did you notice in that particular game an energy shift or a, yeah, a change in attitude? Yeah, Yeah, because I saw they were playing with a fear of failure. And I thought, okay, I hadn't seen that for a long time. And then, you know, you see you don't take action. They play with and let someone else play forward, things like that. Was that because they were playing the Netherlands, do you think? I don't know. Mm. I don't know. 
maybe. Well, I, at that point, the Netherlands was, were of course, the European champions. Um, so I, I don't know. But at halftime, we spoke about it. And I, I had to have a strong... Yeah, the strong message. So get it. So I said, get it off your shoulders. I don't yeah. know what's on your shoulders, but get it off there, and just go and play. I don't care if we make mistakes, and that's that's. I think one of the best of all, you can give anyone the kids too. Like oh, play as a kid. Kids yeah. kids don't think about making mistakes when yeah. they start when they're the age of six. So play like a kid. Yeah, too right. And we need to give ourselves permission to make yeah, mistakes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's the thing too. So you give yeah. permission to everyone to make mistakes, but when you make <laughs> a mistake yourself. yourself. Yeah. Well, that's the thing we need to do too. Be kind to yourself. I know. Are you quite yeah. forgiving of yourself if things no. haven't gone to plan? No. no. I'm learning that too. <laughs> Me too. I'm telling too much. So that's the self-talk and the positive, positive talk. The, I think you're, you're, you're really occupied with that every day too. Well, I yeah, am too. It's hard. It's just the self, yeah, self-regulation. Yeah, we've got to be nicer to ourselves yeah. and let ourselves trip up make mistakes recover grow but it's so easier said than done it's a really tricky thing but it's Mm. i i do think the more i learn about i don't know whether we use the word well-being or even mental health yeah i don't think any of the the tools and the the advice given works unless you like yourself yeah i think unless you've got a foundation of hasn't got to be like euphorically love yourself but you're just forgiving of your mistakes you're okay okay. yeah otherwise the other stuff doesn't work yeah i really believe that yeah yeah i mean the euros for you as well as being the most sensational time and a total you know career joy for you was bittersweet because your sister was extremely ill during the tournament and sadly passed away how did you give yourself the time to process what was going on to grieve during all of that that was surrounding your life yeah that well that was of course was very sad very sad period um well she 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 got ill right before the olympics when i was still with the netherlands and then of course that year in september i started in england and throughout the year we got bad message bad message bad message and actually uh, in june so the last month she was really ill we knew we knew she was going to pass away so i spent every minute i could with her together with the closest family and we just had it sounds really sad but we had a blast together we just shared everything it was so valuable and we we just uh celebrated life every day we could be together and of course she's so sad when she passed away she was besides she's sister she was my best mate but then in the tour she said well you go out there and go win it and i said so well, well if necessary i'll sit on the on the crossbar on on the post i said oh you better do that <laughs> so in the tournament you, just, you you have to park it you have to and some moments it will come up but i had some strategies and some things that i could manage those things what were they uh, I had a um, well the the bracelets. I had a, a candle took with me, and listening to specific music. So just got moments in the day that I could just relieve a little bit those things. So the tournament actually went went pretty well, but it was there all the time. But just very unconscious. So that after that things came back really, really uh, in in um, yeah in a different way or tough way. But then after to yeah then you re- you. It's done. You're very happy, and of course, then the the morning starts too. So that comes and that goes, and yeah, you need to take that time because you have to take that time to to yeah to say goodbye, kind of. So yes, I had some very good uh, hard moments, but you need to take time to mourn. Yeah, uh, and especially when I'm home because that's the environment where she we were together a lot, and we had contacts even more. 
I think that's part of life too. That's also why I shared it in the book. You know, it's it's not all good and it's not all fun. And at any moment, you just have to find a way to get through that and take the time to be really sad because that's part of life too. Yeah. And you're going to say, okay, now I can be sad. And the next moment I can't be sad. In the tournament, you have to, but you can't just push it away. So I'm not pushing it away, but at moments I'm parking it. And at other moments you can you can give it uh, a go. Yeah, you say that on the day of the of the Euros final, you felt really quite emotional that day about your sister yeah, and about the fact the that the day the, before the final, day yeah. before the final, and you everything you, came back. Because, yeah, yeah. And you spoke to the team psychologist on yeah. that day. How how did that help? Oh, massively. Of course, she knew the at, at some moment she would check in, and and that was really good. But at that moment, all of a sudden, everything came up, and I thought, okay, I need to cry. But of course, you don't want to cry in in um, while you know when you have to cry, but not in when you are preparing for a World Cup. Uh, so we just talked with, and and then you know you have to embrace it a little bit too. So you take take your moment. Get it out, give it the time to get out, and then move on. And then actually, at the day of the final, then uh, after the final, I saw people crying, and but I didn't have to cry. I was just very, well, I just found it really unbelievable. We won it. Yeah, it's amazing. And have you found? I mean, I've I've talked, I've had some, you know, pretty, you know, hard hitting conversations at time on this podcast about grief and people losing, yeah. you know, loved ones and and all sorts and. And it's helped me really learn a lot more about grief as well as mm. my own experiences of grief over the years. And it always seems to be the fact that it's just not a linear process. It's not yeah. like every day you feel a little bit better. It's not like that no. at all. There's waves where it undulates and it's deeply awful one day and then the next day weirdly you're able to cope. Yeah. Where, where are you at with everything right now today? Yeah, yeah. it's exactly what you say. Um, it's like the, the, it all says the body keeps score. So it's going to, you know, it, has to, it has to get out of there. But right now, it's just it's just one sad feeling at moments. And like, I don't have that all the time, but some moments and you get remembered or you get home. And and, and I've seen my my um, uh, my nephews, well, nephews, they're, they're adults now, which, which are her sons, and, and connecting with them. And then it feels such a big miss, like, like a gap. In, and that's just a very deep... Yeah, deep missing feeling. It's hard to describe, and it just hurts. It just hurts. But yeah, then you you, you give that the time, uh, and that comes and goes. I don't think that will ever leave. Actually, no, no, I don't think it can. Can it? When it's someone that is so close to you and yeah. had such an impact on your life, I, it's of course going to just be with you forever yeah. in varying degrees depending on which day. Yeah. One thing that I found really interesting reading the book was the fact that you know. The position you're in now, you have got all eyes on you for all the right reasons and and the team members and great changes are being made in the world of female football. But you actually don't like the spotlight. Yeah. So how do you handle that? Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty hard because you, yeah, I'm in the spotlight all the time. Yeah. And I want the team first. So it's all about the players. But I know that I'm leading the team. So, you know, I'm I'm there all the time, too. Over time, I did I did feel like also responsible. To, that's also the reason why I wrote the book together with Jeroen, of course. That I feel also feel responsible to share things and to help the game and to help women and to inspire people. 
to share, which means that you're in the spotlight. So when we wrote this book, I said, I don't want to be about me all the time. I said, well, but when you write a book, it's about you. <laughs> so I, you have to accept that too. Yeah. So I'm just, yeah, finding a way. Except, like, it's also, I, tell, I know where we come from. We, we spoke about it bef- before, where we come from. So it's so great. And I feel so... So thankful that I can that I've been part of this whole journey and seeing the growth of the women's game. So it's very exciting where we are right now. Like when I played, we were happy with 500 people watching, which was basically family and friends. Yeah. And now we we play in full Wembley all the time, and so that comes with it too. So that's really really great. But you, I yeah, sometimes I can hide, but you can't always hide. So you no. have to connect that moments too. And I'm just finding a way there, but. As I said, I feel responsible, so then you have to, to, to take the floor, kind of, just to help to help moving forward. Yeah. And yet you, you can't please everyone, because now so many people want something from you, so that's saying no, too, but also giving giving things and sharing experiences. Yeah. God, thank God for you, Serena. Thank God. And I've never wanted a puffer jacket more. Have yeah. you seen you in that England puffer? I was like, Everyone is talking I've got to get my hands one. on that puffer jacket. Yeah. That puffer jacket is sensational. Yeah. Um, Everyone talks about the jacket. It's, it's really nice. It's the best. It's, yeah. the be- it's the blue and the pink. It's heaven. Yeah. Um, it's been a total joy talking yeah. to you today. I'm so thank grateful you. for your time. Thank you so much, yeah. Serena. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, what a bloody privilege it was to get to chat with Serena. I mean it. I'm absolutely getting myself <laughs> one of those puffer jackets just so I can pretend to be Serena. The thing that got me, about, and I don't want to bring it back down to superficial things too much because she's an exceptional leader, an exceptional sports person. But to see her on the sidelines in that puffer, I was like, if I'm wearing that puffer, surely I can look and feel that powerful. Come on. And it's getting a bit colder outside. Um, Serena, the biggest thanks for your time and your insights. God, what a moment. I love meeting Serena. Take that off the list. What It Takes, my playbook on life and leadership is out on the 9th of November. I wonder if there was anything in what Serena shared about leadership and managing people that you want to take on board in your life. My God, there certainly was for me. Whatever your job might be, come and have a chat with us over on Instagram at Happy Place Official. I'm back with you next week, but for now, a huge, huge thank you again to Serena, to the producer Anushka Tate at Rethink Audio, and to you. I'll chat soon.